Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. We have been in a series about the Holy Spirit and uh, going to continue tonight with a little bit of that. We're going to be in, in the book of Romans chapter 12 and I'm going to read the first eight verses but what I want to talk about is the list of gifts that we've been talking about, gifts of the Holy Spirit, are not, as we have said, not all-inclusive. There are other gifts. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So let's read this. It says, and I'm reading from King James, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, all the members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another, having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Giving is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And showing mercy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Which we don't often hear talked about. So when you look at this, and I memorized it, the first two verses, so the problem, the good thing about memorizing is you'll never forget it. The bad thing about memorizing is that sometimes you have it so rehearsed that you don't really think about what it's saying, right? You can, it can become repetitive in nature or just wrote or rehearsed type of thing. So let's kind of break this down and begin to look at it. So it says, I beseech you, therefore, brother. Now, beseech is an old English word, and it simply means I'm appealing to you or begging you. That's in your notes, by the way. That's in your questions. So Paul, this subject that he's going to teach about or preach about, I should say, is so important that he is begging us. I mean, it's important. He is begging us uh, to make a choice about the way we live for the Lord. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So he's talking to brethren or Christians, right? Brethren, sisters in the Lord, all of that. He's talking, he's not speaking to sinners. He's speaking to the church body, the body of Christ. And so, uh, he's begging us to live in a way uh, that's pleasing to the Lord, that is based upon the mercies of God. So what are those 
mercies of God. That's an interesting statement, right? What are those mercies of God? In other words, he's saying, because God has done this, then you ought to live like this in a way that pleases God. So those mercies of God, God's commanding us to present our body, but based upon the mercies of God. What are those mercies of God? Well, those mercies of God were explained in chapters 1 through 11. But I'm going to tell you some of those mercies, and they are justification. We should be excited that we're justified, right in the sight of God. And uh, adoption, aren't you glad that you're adopted into the body of Christ? You see, we're not naturally in the body of Christ. We are adopted into the body of Christ. But the good news about when the Lord adopts you is he treats you like a regular child of his, right? All the benefits and all the blessings of being a child of the Lord. So uh, adoption you have, we're under grace and not under the law. That's a, that's a blessing or mercy of the Lord. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. All of those, these things are explained in chapters 1 through 11. You can see even at the beginning here that he's going in, is going to be talking eventually about the Holy Spirit. The promise of help in affliction or times of trouble. That's one of the mercies of God. That we're never separated from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. That's some of the mercies or blessings of God. God's continued faithfulness. All of those things are described uh, in the first 11 or so chapters in Romans. So what's Paul saying? I'm begging you, live a life that is based upon the mercies of God. And the mercies of God are so great and so awesome that I'm begging you to live and to make a choice to live a life uh, that's going to be pleasing to the Lord. And by the mercies of God. So by the mercies of God, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we are to bring our bodies to God's altar. Now, we know that this is not a physical altar. We're not going to lay our bodies and be a burning sacrifice upon the altar. So what does this really mean? What does it mean? And that's kind of a question for you that's not in your list of questions. What does it mean to present your body as a living sacrifice? Live that way daily. When we live this way, it's evident to others. Endure hardships, absolutely, because that's that's a part of, of that sacrificial lifestyle. None of us want to sign up for hardships, but it is a part of the Christian walk. Uh, and to do it and to endure it in such a way that others see evidence of your faith in God. Putting aside what we want to do. So that's the sacrifice part of it. We want to live X, Y, Z way, but God's called us to live A, B, C way. Uh, and so that's a sacrifice for us. So 
when we look at this, so God's saying, present your bodies. Now we know this is not a, just a physical, although I believe God wants every part of us, right? He wants every part of us. So when the scripture tells us to present our bodies to him, that means our spirit, our soul, our flesh, and our mind. So we're to present him our spirit, soul, flesh, and mind. It's a living sacrifice, and it stays alive, which is unlike Old Testament sacrifices. They didn't stay alive. They died on the altar. Uh, they were either burnt up or their blood was sprinkled or something of that effect. What does that mean? It's body, soul, uh, spirit, and mind. That's everything you are. So that's what that means. When you present your body as a living sacrifice, it's everything you are. Everything that makes you, you, is what the Lord is saying, give it to me. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. And we think when we, in human terms, we think of jealousy being a negative concept. Uh, but in biblical terms, when God says, present to me your bodies, he's saying, I want all of you, not just a piece of you, not just your Sunday mornings or your Wednesday nights or your, uh, you know, uh, no, I want every portion, every piece of you is what the Lord is saying through Paul here. Body, soul, spirit, mind. And it's a living sacrifice. It stays at the altar. So we're continuously or ongoingly sacrificing. God didn't say come to church on Sunday morning and then you can live however you want to on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? That's not what he's saying. Stay on the altar. Continue to be that living sacrifice is what uh, the Lord is talking about here. So a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. Now, I'm going to tie this in just a little bit. Why is Paul begging us to live this way and to be this living sacrifice because of God's mercies, number one, but also because when we get there, that's the kind of person that God gives gifts of the Holy Spirit to, is someone who is sold out to the Lord and who will do what God's called them to do, right? Uh, so we are to live holy, acceptable to God. Nothing less holy and acceptable to the Lord. In the Old Testament, what kind of sacrifice was the animal? Could you take an animal that was had a missing foot or a unblemished? Uh, we're to bring holiness to the altar. How many feel holy all the time? I'm not raising my hand. I'm asking the question. We don't do it. We don't feel holy all the time. So what does it mean to live as a sacrificial, in a sacrificial way that is acceptable and holy to God? What are we talking about? Keeping your spirit right with God, keeping, making a decision that we're going to yield to the work of God in our life. Does 
that mean we're going to be perfect in it? Absolutely not. We're not going to be perfect in it. But what it is, is it's a decision to try to live a holy life. And then the Holy Spirit steps in. I mean, knows that God almost always requires at least participation of us to work with the Holy Spirit and to be willing, be yielded to the Lord. And so uh, we see that here as we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to the Lord. And when we yield to God, God will burn away the impurities in our life. But it's when we yield to the Lord. If I was preaching up here, I would have a rope. And I'd have somebody on the other end of it. And I'd be acting like the Holy Spirit. And I'd be holding on to it. But if they wouldn't yield and come my direction, the Holy Spirit won't pull you, won't make you. Our pastor, Brother McKinley, always said the Holy Spirit was a gentleman. When we yield to the Holy Spirit, then he does a purifying work in our life. And he makes us. See, we're not making ourselves. All we're doing is yielding to the Holy Spirit so that we can become holy and acceptable to God. Who knows what's holy? The Holy Spirit does. Who can make us holy? The Holy Spirit. If we try to do it on our own, at least in my experience, uh, if I try to do it on my own, I'll mess up. I'll, I'll, I'll live like I think I should and not like the Holy Spirit wants me to. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that is what? Destruction. So we're to yield to the Holy Spirit, not to our own, that's what Kevin's has said, not doing what I want to do, but doing what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. What is a reasonable sacrifice? How many of you ever felt like God asked too much of you? I'm raising my hand on this one, I'm telling you. I have felt like at times, oh, that's too much, God. I don't know if I can do that. I've felt that way before. Our best effort is reasonable. So, because what God's saying is, God is saying, present to me your whole body, body, soul, mind, spirit, give it all to me. In my flesh, that sounds unreasonable. But to the Lord, that's what's reasonable. Why? Because of his mercies. The very first line. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's because of, it becomes reasonable because of what God's already done for us. I'm trying to put this in physical, natural terms. If I gave you a brand new Cadillac and I said, I just want you to do this little thing for me, would you, would you think that's reasonable? Probably so, right? Imagine what God has done for us, then whatever he asks of us is reasonable because we were headed to destruction, hell, eternal, unending damnation and punishment. That's what we were headed for. And God said, I'm going to make a way. Now, let me say this. I'm not preaching a works mentality. It's not what I'm doing. 
But what the Lord is saying here is that when we consider the mercies of God, what little he's asked us to do becomes reasonable. Yes, to live for him is little compared to he sent his only son for us to die for us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies to the Lord, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Do we recognize the pull of the world and the world system on us? Do we recognize that the world system is always trying to pull us away from God? Here's what the world system does. It's all about how much can I make? How many possessions can I have? How can I live for myself so that I die with the most toys? When you look at the world system, that's pretty much what it is. But here, this is saying, don't be conformed to that. Don't follow after your own desires, like Kim had talked about. Don't uh, follow after lust and don't be prideful. Don't do all these kinds of things that we, can I just say we probably naturally are prone to do. If you've been around babies lately, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. They don't know it, but they, they it's like innate within them. And it's the same way for us. I want what I can get. If, we, if we're conforming to the world. But if we're not, then it's more about how can I serve someone? How can I serve the Lord? How can I give back? Not how much can I take? There's two words that I think are important when it comes to how many knows the Lord wants to mature us in the faith? It's a part of what the Bible is all about. If you read the Bible, it'll help you grow up as a Christian. It will. I mean, he's saying, don't be conformed. What's another way of saying that? Resist the world. So the word resist is one of those key words. So if I want to be more like the Lord and I want to be a good Christian, then I need to resist the pull of the world and the world system. But is that enough by itself? What else do I need to do? Well, yes, we need to change. But who's the changer? God. So resist the world and embrace that transformation that's brought through Jesus Christ or through the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's twofold. Simply resisting won't make you grow up and become more holy and more pure and more what the lifestyle that Paul's saying you need to live. So you've got to spend time in God's presence because he is the purifier. He's the one who makes us holy. He's the one that purifies us. He's the one that changes us. He's the one that does all these things in us. So simply resisting the world without embracing the pull of the Holy Spirit and God's call on our life, it's not enough to do one. You have to do both. So we have to resist and we have to embrace uh, what God's called us to do. What is the world system? I've, I've used that word a few times. 
resist the world, the world system. What is the world system? The, the world system can't be those in charge of us. So that world system has degraded. Even what was just basic wrong and right, now it's like, doesn't they make any sense in this world that we live in? Basic honor. So it's the culture. And I tell you, the world system is always at odds with the kingdom system of God. Always. The kingdom of God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. The world system says, get everything you can have. And if you want to, maybe help some people. You see the difference there? It's rebellion against God. It's an ungodly pattern and way of living. That's what the world system is about. How many knows you can't fully escape the world system? Right? What does the Bible say? It tells us that we are in this world, but not of it. We, we can't escape all of this world, but yet we need to escape the mindset of this world. All of this is leading towards what I said at the beginning, these gifts of the Holy Spirit. God's not going to use you mightily in his kingdom and give you a bunch of gifts of the Holy Spirit if you have a worldly mindset instead of a kingdom mindset. And especially when you look at some of these gifts we're going to talk about, which aren't the normal nine that we talked about a few weeks ago, because they have more to do with practical, daily kinds of things that we, that the Holy Spirit will help us do to help others and to help the kingdom of God. So be transformed. How are you not conformed to the world, but transformed? What thing gets transformed? By the renewing of your mind. So uh, that word transformed, and you're going to recognize this immediately, is the Greek word metamorpho, which is, we say metamorphosis. A caterpillar goes through a metamorphosis to become a butterfly. And this, it cocoons, and, it, uh, and it's a process over time, and eventually it bursts forth out of that cocoon, and instead of being a caterpillar, it's a butterfly. It's transformed, there's a metamorphosis. It doesn't look anything, it is a, in Bible terms, a new creature. And so that's the, that word metamorphosis, it's the opposite of being conformed to the world. So you've heard me say when preaching before that the battleground is the mind. That's where this process of either being conformed to the world or transformed by God happens is in the mind. So yes, sin begins in the mind and as we dwell on it, and we begin to feed into it and begin to think about it and say, well, that's not so bad. The Bible kind of talks about it as it's almost like it's being birthed inside of our mind. Sin is. When we dwell upon it, we give it almost like we give it life as we dwell upon. If you will think about it, as Carol said, sin usually begins in the mind it's not usually an immediate thing. It's something you think about and you justify in your mind. 
Oh, it'll be okay if I do this. Uh, we have to be careful. What's this saying? As a Christian, we must think differently. We have to think differently as a Christian. There's some problems when we think like the world. Many Christians, even Christians, live life based upon their feelings. Feelings are very fickle. And so if you live life based upon your feelings, that's not a transformed mind. Your feelings, one day you might get up and feel awesome and be happy and want to live right and do good for people. And the next day you might get up mad as a hornet. And, and is there a real, sometimes there's not even a reason why you just get up, as the old saying is, on the wrong side of the bed. And if you live out those feelings, that's not a transformed mind. What we feel, um, if we live based on how I feel today, how I feel about my job, how I feel about my wife, how I feel about worshiping the Lord, how I feel about the preacher, we're not being transformed by the power of God, we're being transformed by our feelings. We feel all kinds of things. How many ever felt like somebody was talking about you? I have. Walk into a room, things gets quiet. Uh, you know, like, oh, maybe they were talking about me. And you find out later that wasn't what was happening at all. But if you existed on your feelings and you live life based upon your feelings, you're going to be tossed to and fro, as the Bible talks about, right? You're going to be up one day, down the next. You're going to be. Uh, living according to your feelings and not a renewed mind. A renewed mind is fixed upon the Lord and fixed upon what God calls us to do. The other thing that we can do is rather than living on our emotions, we can live on our actions. Now this sounds better, but it's still not a transformed mind. I have many people come to me and say, Pastor, what can I do? What can I do? to help the church. What can I do? And sometimes there's some physical things, and I'm not saying don't desire to do things. That's healthy when you live or living a Christian life. But sometimes we center so much on doing and action that our mind isn't really transformed. We just want to be busy. And so people come to me and say, what can I do, Pastor? And what I don't say, but I feel in the spirit, not feel bad way. I feel like saying you need to get mature and live for the Lord and then it's unlimited what you can do for God. You're not living on feelings or just do, do, do. You're living on and trusting on God and a transformed mind. Then I don't have, as a pastor, I'm not saying it's wrong to come to pastor and ask what you can do. Please do come to me and ask, what can I do? What I'm saying is, when we begin to live a transformed life, who's telling you what to do? Not me. Holy Spirit. Uh, that's important. So our first questions can't be, how do I feel? But what does God's word say? You have to know what God's will is for your life. What is his word saying? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is God's will for your life? What's good, acceptable, and perfect? Can I tell you that I don't know what God's will is for your life. I know what it is for mine. I know what God's will is for me. I know what I'm supposed to live out. And so it's, this is a relationship with the Lord and a renewed mind. And then we begin to live out what God's called us to do. That we might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So as we're transformed on the inside, we said this earlier, then the proof is on the outside and how we live our life. That we might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Transformation. Transformation. How many of those we say that word a lot in the church? I say it every Sunday. This is the living word of God. It's transformative in nature. It will change us. It will make. What is this process of transformation and how do I play a part in it? Yield your mind to God and put godly things into it. I love that answer. We said this word earlier, resist. That is a part of this transformation process, resisting the world, focusing on God's word. That's a part of the transformation process. What we're doing tonight, as we begin to look at the word of God, it will convict us if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. It should. Uh, and you may be living right in whatever area that's being talked about, and so there may not be conviction in that, but the Word of God in general brings conviction into our life. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that it, I want to grow and be like the Lord, right? And so I, I invite the Holy Spirit to tell me when I'm wrong and to guide me and to slap me on the wrist and to discipline me. And that happens through His Word and through spending time with God. When we spend time with God, something begins to happen to us. Worship service, spending time in his word, daily devotions, all of those kinds of things begin to transform us and change us. I'm not who I used to be. And I'm not bringing on me, I'm bringing on the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me is that I'm closer to the Lord now than I was when I started this travel, this journey. I know it's going to change me, and it's going to change you, and it's going to grow us all up, and we're going to hear what God wants us to do, and we're going to, we're going to be transformed in this process. You might hear me say something funny every once in a while, but I'm serious about what I come to do, right? Uh, and I'm serious about the Word. That's why we repeat every... Uh, and some may get tired of it, but that's why we... Repeat every week. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'm going to be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind's alert. My heart is receptive. I'm going to be changed by this, right? That's that renewing process. Talking about the transformation. You may know God's will for your life, but you will never be able to live it out without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. I've had so many people come to me and say, Pastor, 
The Lord's called me to be an evangelist, or the Lord's called me to be a missionary. And I welcome that. That's awesome. That's great. But if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in your life and change you, you'll still be professing that 25 years down the road. I remember the Lord called me to be a missionary. What are you doing? Have you gone anywhere? Has the Holy Spirit changed you? Are you ready to go to the mission field? I'm, I'm not trying to call anybody to the mission field tonight, but you know what I'm saying. We, we are changed because of the transforming uh, work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, this ought to be easy. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. If it wasn't true, it wouldn't be in the Bible. We think too much of ourselves sometimes. Don't we? Yep. We have pride in our lives. And Paul is saying, again, all of this is leading to God placing gifts in our life and if you got too much pride in your life, then those gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't going to work well in you because you're not going to be led by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be led by your pride and you're thinking too much of yourself. What's he saying? How many have been in a church or a service or even maybe watched on TV people obviously called obviously talented and skilled, but you were turned off because they thought way too much of themselves. And their effectiveness in that gifting that God's called them to is lessened because they're too prideful. And they're saying, ah, oh, God's called me to this great ministry and uh, I have this gift and that gift. They're, they might not be saying that, but they're, they're portraying that. We're called not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. You need to think well of yourself, but not more highly than you ought to. And there's a balance there. We're to be humble. We're to be usable. If you think you've got it all together, just sit in the middle of the circle with us and we'll tell you where you're not. <laughs> uh, and so will the Holy Spirit if you let him, right? We don't need to be more prideful than we ought to. I say that in jest, but it's truth, isn't it? Because pride comes before destruction. All you know. Uh, so uh, we we don't want to be too prideful. And he backs that up with the same statement that says, "God has dealt to each one a measure of faith." So what's he saying here? Don't be more prideful than you ought. God has given everybody a measure of faith. What does that mean? In relation to one another, what does that mean? Don't be more prideful than you ought to because you weren't the one to even give yourself enough faith to get saved. That ought to humble us. Sometimes we speak in wrong terminology, and I've been guilty of it before, to say that we received Christ. Is that really true? There's a part of that we have to believe but it's God who's called us and drawn us and to him and so we need to understand that everything every gift we have every even the measure of faith that it took to get saved it come from God if you have the gift of 
tongues and interpretation. It wasn't because you studied or because you had some natural ability to do that. It's because God gave it to you. If you had the gift to prophesy or to lay hands on the sick and they recover, it's not you. It's God who gave us that ability and that gifting. So Paul's saying, before I tell you a whole lot about these gifts, I want to make sure that you're ready for them. That's what, all, that's what all this chapter is about. The first part of this chapter. That's why he's saying, offer yourself to the Lord, a living sacrifice. Be prepared. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be prideful. Get ready for what God is going to do in your life and for the giftings that he's going to send to you and give to you. And realize every all of it comes from God. Verse 4 and 5, and then I'll wrap it up. So, then he begins to talk about, he's going to go into talking about the church, the body of Christ, because who are the gifts for? They're for us, right? For the body of Christ, to edify us, to build us up so that uh, the body is whole and healed and, and doing the work of Christ. That's what these gifts are for. So he's saying, there are many members, but one body. This church has many members, but it's one body. But let me stretch that for you. This church is only one member of the whole body of Christ. Let me go a little bit less than that in between there. This church is but one member of the body of Christ in Versailles, Kentucky. All of us have a role in this body. Our church has a role in the body of Christ in Versailles. We're called to do certain things. And I preached for a couple of weeks about the vision of the church. So we are many members in one body. So it, we're a unified whole. There's two, two key words. Unity is important. If we don't work together, we're going to get very little done. It's as we work together. No one person is more important than the other inside of the church. Just because I'm the pastor does not mean I'm more important than you. I have a different calling, but I'm in this body. I've been in this body since I was zero years old. My parents brought me inside this church. I know for sure in October when they opened the doors of this church because they came from down the street and they had this great dedication service of this building, I was here. They carried me up the street, up those stairs, and my daddy said on the back row, I saw a picture. And I'm a one singular member of this body. But we're one body, unity. When we work together, so many things are possible in the Lord, right? With, especially when we're working together with each other and with the Holy Spirit, nothing is impossible, right? God can do it through us. So unity, but also diversity. I'm not like you, and 
and you're not like me, you should say, praise the Lord, I'm not like Pastor Brian. We're diverse. That's the beauty of the church. One body, but within it is this group of people working together, each with different skills and capabilities and giftings of the Holy Spirit, which is he's, he's about ready to go into, all working together to benefit the body of Christ as a whole. There's unity, but diversity. And guess what? The body is strengthened and made better by all this diversity. Unity uh, and diversity. Just a key word. Notice I said unity and not uniformity. We are not all alike. Uh, just look around. We're not all alike. We've heard a prophecy, verse 6. Prophesy to the proportion of your faith. Verse 7, or ministry. That is the word diaconus, which is deacon. Exhortation is one. Giving is one. Showing mercy is one. We're going to talk about some of those questions. So Paul is what? Beseeching, Beseeching or begging is a, is a word. Urging us to live a certain way based upon what? The mercies of God. So name some of those mercies that Paul discussed in Romans. Justification. Justification. Adoption. Grace. Grace. Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit inside of us. Uh, no separation from the love of God. God's faithfulness. All those are mercies of God. Question number three. Uh, to give God our bodies is to present to him our what? Body, soul, spirit, mind. Spirit, soul, flesh, mind, body, however you word that. It's good. Since God wants all of that from us, why is this level of sacrifice reasonable? Same reason as number two, because of the mercies of God, right? What are the two key words when it comes to conforming and transforming? Resist and embrace. Question number six. What are some practical ways that you can play a part in the transformation of your mind? Read the word. Read the word or focus on God's word. What's, what's the second one? Holy Spirit believes. Yeah, or uh, I'm, I'm putting fellowship with God, which is all those things combined that you guys just said. I'm spending that time yielding to the Lord. Question number seven. Before speaking about exercising spiritual gifts, what does Paul warn us about? Think too highly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Or you could simply put the word pride. Question number eight, in verses four through five, uh, Paul speaks about both the unity and the diversity of the body of Christ.